Oh, yes. It's the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help you maximize your use of marketing automation and CRM, CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Now, today's guest is so cool. I got to introduce you. I can't wait for you to hear him talk. He's got a book. He is the CRM guy. That's what they call him. That's, his wife even calls him that, I think. Uh, <laughs> he's the CEO of Juicy Results. He's an author. Awesome book. I've got a copy here. The Seven Habits for Scalable Sales Teams. We're going to dive into it. He's the host of a podcast that's recently been refreshed, and it's back on, back on the prowl called The New Customer Machine. I love the machine. He's a hustler. He's an entrepreneur and an all-around badass. Jeremy Pound, how are you, sir? I'm fantastic. I'm excited to be here with everyone. Yeah, man. Dude, it's so cool to have you here. I was reading your book and I, and I showed you earlier, I just put hearts and stars next to everything. <laughs> everything you're saying is so true. And I, I can't wait for people to hear this and, and to remind everyone the theme, the theme for this particular episode, this particular month. Yeah, it's all around that CSI, that roadmap for marketing automation. You know, what do you do first? What do you do second? Don't just go blast people some email. You got to got to do it. You got to know the process. You got to build it out slowly and steadily. We talked to Adele Ravella in January about knowing your buyer. We worked on tracking and reporting. And now after doing some nurturing, now we're up to like, let's align with sales. Let's connect to their CRM. Let's get all this stuff cranking. And so it's so great that you're here. And I would just love to pass you Thor's hammer to just smash mm -hmm. some myths. What kind of bogus strategy around either sales and marketing alignment or sales in general are you seeing mis you know, misconceptions that maybe marketing or sales both have? Just smash away. All right, let's do it. Uh, so yeah. the first thing, right, you, you joked, my, uh, my self-applied nick, self nickname that really stuck, the CRM guy. The CRM uh, guy, yeah. Right, I get called in, hey, you know, uh, let's get together. I want to talk about this thing. And then ultimately I'm sitting around a table with executives and there's always that guy. And they're like, look, our people are never going to use the CRM, right? Salespeople, especially right. good ones. They hate technology, right? They, they right. got enough to do. They're never going to use the CRM, right? Yep. Myth number one. I love it when guys bring that up. I'm like, great. We got the elephant in the room is on the table and we can address it. Yeah. Call it out. Right. Don't just like put it under the rug. Let's yeah. So they lay it out there, then you smash it right in front of them. Do you like hop on the, on the, the conference table and just smash that thing? What, what happens? I've yet to do that, but I'm, I'm going to bring up Amazon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order, a, I'm gonna <laughs> order like a hammer, right? Yes. You know, come back in and just lay it down. A foam hammer? Do you think they have those? That's what I need, like a giant oversized I foam I bet you they have everything. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a giant squeaky noise when you hit the table. Yeah, like That's a chewing toy. Yeah, so I do it, uh, you know, maybe uh, proverbial, not the yep. real hammer. Um, yep. But I love it, right? And I agree. Uh, if you're going to bring us in and we're going to, you know, uh, invest all this time and money and then customize your CRM and roll it out and put your uh, reputation on the line as executives totally. that this matters and that we're actually going to enforce it, uh, which, by the way, is, the, is one of the biggest costs, right? It's not just the cost of the CRM. It's not just the cost of the time, but True. it's, the, you know, it's the initiative capital, right? Guys, this is important to us. We're going to do it. You're putting yourself on the line. And so, you know, I, I don't want to undervalue that. That's huge. I just want to say that. I know I see you nodding because, yeah. you, you know, you probably deal with this daily. Yeah, because you can skip that, but we'll hit that next. Yeah, yeah totally. We'll come back to that for sure. But hey, it, it, adoption is key. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know about you. I love Tim Ferriss and the, you know, four-hour work week guy. He's all totally. about 80-20 rule. He says all the time, 
I want the imperfect system that people actually use rather than the perfect system that nobody can figure out, right? Yeah. So adoption is key. You know, you got to learn the culture of your sales team, uh, learn, you know, the, the process that actually works in your company. And you got to roll out a CRM, you know, in bite-sized chunks that people are actually going to use. And, you know, if you show them, right, that this is going to add zeros to their day, which is a, a, a line I think that maybe we invented, but I often steal stuff and think we invented it. Totally. But if you can show someone that, look, you talk to 50 leads a week and we're going to show you how to talk to 500, right? Or you close, you know, seven sales a week and we're going to show you how to close 70. What, you know, real salesperson's not going to jump on board and say, I don't know what this is, but I got to get behind it and I'm willing to invest in it. Right. And I'm willing to, you know, maybe step out of my comfort zone and figure it out. So, you know, it's about, it's like all marketing and all sales, right? What's in it for them? And if you start from a place of what's in it for you guys, you know, what's the mission behind this? Why is this important to the company? I've seen it over and over again. In fact, I'm working right now with a, with a small call center that all the guys are crushing it. They've got an extremely in-demand product. They're selling this retail, retail product that's, you know, very in-demand and their cool. distributors are taking it. And they brought me in. They said, we want to go from, from three salespeople to 30 in the next six months. Sick. We need our sale, you know, we need Salesforce to do that. We yeah. need all the technology. And they're like, our guys are never going to use it. Right. And so yeah. between the time we started it and the time we rolled it out and trained, they now have six salespeople. And, you know, we, we basically allocated about a two week training period between the time they could see the technology and the time they actually got to use it. And by the way, we did that on purpose. But as we started to show them this stuff, they're chomping at the bit and they're, they're literally, you know, emailing me. And every time I get on the call, they're like, when are we going to use this thing? And, you know, we can't wait to get it. And I'm watching it. I'm, I'm watching the exact executive who said to me, my guys are never going to use this. And we created this, you know, demand cycle around it where they just, they feel like every day they feel like they're losing money, but they're not using the tool. And if you can so do you that, you're going to out there. We did it. And, and we oh, really learned cool. their system. You know what I mean? Like we didn't just come yeah. in all, you know, uh, gimmicky, right. Yeah. And shiny, but we learned their system, right? We learned right. the, we found the choke points. We found the bottlenecks, what's taking all the time. And we yeah. showed them how we we're going to blow every single one of those up. Jeez. And now it's the new shiny toy that everybody wants. So, uh, anyone who says to me, my people are never going to use my CRM. I'm like, we need to talk because we're going to fix that fast. Yeah. And I love the fact that you, the way we do that. I mean, sometimes people are like, well, character stick, man. And I've, I've heard like, Hey, if it's not in Salesforce, it's not in your CRM never happened. So happened. those calls never happened. And that deal you closed never happened either. Cause you didn't log it in Salesforce. So yeah, sayonara that, that commission. We, just to thing. jump on that, we call that the show, not tell environment. So that's what we want to teach, right? When you have a sales meeting, it should be, Hey, let's see what you did in the CRM. It oh, shouldn't be tell me what's going on. Right. Uh, it's be like, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the results. It's, it's a show, not tell environment. And if you can create that culture, that's kind of key number two of our, our three keys of CRM adoption. Um, and if you do that, uh, you know, number one, by the way, was add zeros to the day, right? You right. show them it'll add zeros to the day. Number two is you have to have a show, not tell environment. And number three, everyone's got to speak the same language. If right. you create this culturally and you know, everyone has the same definition of a sale, and by the way, I know about your military background, right? I'm not in the yep. military, but I've studied it. And that's something they do. It's all about clarity and, and yeah. precision and black and white. And if you can get that in your sales culture, uh, then you can really have a great team. And by the way, we're talking about marketing and sales alignment. That marketing team needs to understand the same language and vice yeah. versa, right? Just totally. Everyone using that same vocabulary is paramount to success. Totally. You can't have, you know, the two different departments. I mean, that leads to half the, the, the misconceptions and half the 
the challenges is when they're, they're both going for their own metric, right? Marketing's focused on getting their leads. Sales is trying to close deals. And it's almost like one's talking one language, one's talking the other. And, the, and yeah. no wonder you get, I mean, it's like different countries when they get mad at each other. Yeah. Like, no wonder we're mad at you. You know, you, know, you didn't drink the, the ceremonial tea and I sure. tried to cheers you with my beer and all this <laughs> stuff can happen. Um, or, yeah. or, you know, marketing in their wine and sales with their shots. Either yeah. way, you know, the misconceptions, but language, that's so true that they're, they're important. I like that. So one is the ad zeros. Yep. And, and it, now with your ad zeros, it's like kind of show them what's in it for them. The fact that you're going to add the zeros. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah exactly. You can yeah. add zeros to your day, right? You, you're an God. amazing uh, sales ninja, right? And I'm not yeah. going to wait. I'm not going to disrupt your day to add 10% output. Right. I'm going to 10X your output. And if right. I can't do that, if I can't show you how I'm going to 10X your output, then, then I don't deserve your attention and you following my system. Fair and enough. You know as well as I do, right? We undersell this stuff sometimes, but if you, if you implement this sales and marketing technology, that shit happens, right? You can yeah. 10X somebody's day. You can 10X a whole team. Oh, yeah. We often keep that stuff too close to the vest um, or we just say, trust us. We get, we're so enamored with it. We don't take the time to show the, you know, the frontline people yeah. how this is going to work for them. Yeah, just the the whole just trust us. We forget that we've got to sell it internally. And I, you've probably yeah. seen this too. You know, when when some you know when a company buys or you know invests in a solution like this, sometimes it's the leadership that makes the decision, and mm -hmm. no one tells the folks down the you know in the front lines why this was happening, why this was made, what the results are. So they're like, oh, geez, another thing yeah. that those guys that are and gals are out of touch. They're making us use another thing. Yep. You almost got to resell them on, yeah. you know, just kind of almost do like a secondary sale just to let them know like why you're in this and why you're even sure. here. Yeah. Casey, it's the primary sale. If you ask me, right? It's I love it. Sale. It's not the secondary sale. That's true, uh, man. Yeah. And we just talked about the, the capital that the executives put on the line, right? You don't want this to be another initiative. And if, if I, if I just sweep this under the rug for a quarter, this yeah. will go away. And next quarter, there'll be like a new initiative. Right. Right. And that's what people are thinking. Cause that's typically what happens is like, yeah. we've all been there. The next thing, <laughs> we've yeah, all the been next shiny thing. And, yeah. and okay. So add the zeros. Love that. The show, not tell environment. How, easier said than done. How do you get there? I mean, you have everything tracked. It's in Salesforce. People can yeah. see what happened. You just start. So know, I would sum this up. Yeah. It's a, that's a great question. So let me sum this up because yeah, yeah I get that's a little abstract. Very often, these I mean, it's cool little, abstract though. These cute little sayings we have, right? You're, you know, like they, yeah. they're a hard one, and then you come over the saying, and then you often forget, you know, the lesson behind it. So, sure. yeah, all right, uh, simplicity wins, right? You know mm -hmm. that as well as I do. Um, I, I know we're both affiliated with the Entrepreneurs Organization, and I often say that the one thing, the one breakthrough that I've really had from being around people like you and, and these amazing people who have scaled, um, in my own words, is the simpler it is, the bigger it scales right? We're, we're all these extremely smart entrepreneurs and executives and marketers and, and all everyone listening is guilty of this, right? We, we pride ourselves on thinking everything, thinking through everything that's going to happen and, and adding complexity to solve for that. But in reality, I mean, come on, the Snuggie has generated like a billion dollars of revenue. I, I mean, that is my, my best comical example. Spanks. Somebody yeah. Spanks. Yes. I mean, you, you not, you and I are not even in the market for Spanks. I don't believe. Um, but we can explain what it is and tell anybody, you know, who, who's it for and why they need it. Right. So right. it's a great example. Um, 
And so, you know, simplicity scales, that's really what it's about, right? So we're asking our salespeople to focus on a couple key goals, right? We're not giving them this manual of a hundred things to do. We're basically saying, you know, here's your scorecard. These are your leading indicators, right? If you do these, you know, if you hit these four metrics every day and every week, not only are you going to feel great and, and know that you're succeeding, but the sales are going to come, the organizations right. succeed, right? So the show not tell environment is whatever we ask our people to do, we shine a giant spotlight on it, right? So when they log into their CRM, if we're at, we're not going to put, you know, here's all the leads you talked to today, you know, here's all the amazing metrics and here's all these, you know, as marketers, by the way, we're all guilty of this. You know, what's the prettiest pie chart I can show them, right? What's the <laughs> coolest graphic? It's going to justify infographic. Yeah. 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 Okay. We're paying $10,000 a month in the sales technology. I better show the executive some really cool charts. Right. But you know what? That doesn't drive winning, right? A scoreboard drives winning, right? So when the, when the team's out on the court or the field, all they need is a couple key metrics, right? They need to know how much time is left, what the score is, right? They're coming back. They're talking about, you know, a couple key metrics that they agreed upon that are leading indicators, you know, like the, the, you know, number of plays per quarter or the percentage of pass to run, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's all the people need to see when they log in. So what I say is whatever you ask me to do, you're going to shine a giant spotlight on it. I want every salesperson I'm asking to do these three things. Every time they hit their home screen, they know exactly how far along they are. That's all they see. They see nothing else. Yes. Right. When they have a sales meeting, nobody has to like do any reporting. It's right there. Right. And if there's two days left to your next weekly sales meeting, and you're supposed to have 10 presentations done, and you've had three, are you going to hustle, right? Versus if you have eight, you know what I mean? Like it is, the feedback is so actionable. And that's what I mean by putting a giant spotlight on it. And so every, you know, weekly sales meeting and every, you know, quarterly update, ask your people to do the right things, very few things, and all of your feedback, all of your conversation is about that. And that's the show, not tell environment. There's no room for the story, right? I like that. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise, story is a girl. Oh, you know, we didn't close it yet, but uh, here, yeah. this is what's happening. Guys, yeah, his brother uses the time. program. They love yeah. it. You know, I you, do you know Jim Rohn? Have you ever followed Jim? Yeah, Rohn? yeah, sure. I heard this thing from him that I, I tell it all the time, and I love it. And you know, he was working with his sales team, and he had a little spreadsheet or a little boom. You know, I love it. Of course, on demand, right, right there. On demand books. <laughs> I got a little library over here. I've seen you do that before. I don't know how many books are there. I'm I got your <laughs> book. I got Jim. That's all I need. That's all That's, I need. Wow. I'm a two for two so far. That's good. That's it. Yeah. But he's managing his sales team and he, he jokes yeah. and he goes, he goes, I, you know, how many, how many meetings did you have this week? Right. And the salesperson's like, well, you know what? My car was broken down and then I get this one process and he goes, look, I made this little box for your number. I don't have room in my box for your story. I just have room <laughs> for your number. Right. And I just felt like that. Oh, I love that. it up so well. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's just got enough room in the box for the hard number and there's no room for this, for the story and the reason, you know? It's, it's about the action. You know, that'd be a cool t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Big boxer says, I don't have room for this story. I don't have room for the story. He, tell, he tells it so much better than I do, but it no, really, that, that concept stuck with me so hard. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole idea of that results only environment, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not even going to micromanage you, you know, and I guess that, that can be the other thing that happens in CRM is now I can micromanage a lot of your stats. Yeah or a lot of your activity or even your step, but instead I'll take a step back. I just want to see that you're having the results that we've asked you to get. Yeah. And 100%. if you are, I'll leave you alone. If you want some coaching, cool. Um, otherwise, you yeah. know, it won't be the nanny state. And, and that's really what, that's one of the things we, we teach is that um, 
business owners and sales managers and salespeople look at a sales meeting as like the worst part of their week, right? Like the worst overhead, but a high quality um, show, not tell environment. Let's get all the numbers out of the way in the beginning. Yep. And then let's spend the other 90% of the meeting coaching you on where you're stuck or yeah. where we can help you. Right. Right. And rather than what, it, what is a typical meeting, which is the first 90% is excuses and, excuses. you know, him yeah. and hawing and avoiding stories. Right. And then you maybe never even get to the productive part. And if you do, it's the last 10%. And so let's get it out of the way. Let's know everybody wants to win and let's get right into why, why that is or is not happening. Man, that's awesome. So that, that puts a lot more color for me on the show, not tell environment. Uh, and so the last one, the third one you said was same language. Talk more about that. Yeah getting people in the same, same language. I mean, even now it sounds like you got to even start, you know, in, in where you're coming from, you even starting to make sure sales is on the same page about what we're expecting. Those stats we just talked about, here's what that actually means, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I'd ask you, Casey, right? Like what's a sale mean to your company? You've got a sales team, right? Yeah. So, you know, if, if I said to you, you know, when do you feel comfortable paying a commission? Right. What would you, yeah. what would you say? Did you have like a good yeah. example of that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, closed one okay. um, is a booking, you know, it's closed one in the system and, and it only is closed one because they've signed that, that digital document, digital document signed. Now I can flip it over closed one. And I believe we actually do the, the commission on the payment received or something like that. Perfect. But it's, a, but the, the sale is that that signed document. Beautiful. I love it. So that, that's why I ask because yeah. I always say to people, a true sale is when you're comfortable paying a commission. And a lot of business owners um, just call and sales teams celebrate a sale based on when you feel like you can celebrate it, right? But we all know we've all gotten signed contracts that don't go through or there's sure. some kind of problem, right? And so this is one of those things. I'm fascinated about this. So we talked about the book before. Sure. I, the, the impetus for that book was that I, I got lucky enough to have several clients on the Inc. 500, Inc. 5000 fastest growing list. And I was, you know, interviewing them. I'm looking for patterns. Uh, this is just what we do as entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. Like, what are you doing to win that I don't know about, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pattern starts showing up. So I, I'm always fascinated about a few key things where if I interview a small sales team, yeah. uh, I get one pattern. And if I interview a big sales team, a scalable sales mm. team, I get a different pattern, right? And yeah. there's only a few things like that that I've found. But I'll tell you what, if you sent me on the field, and I talk to your typical one to three person um, sales team and the business owner, right? Yep. So if it's a one sales person, I talk to them and the business owner. And I say, tell me what a sale looks like at your company. Like, when do you feel like the sales made and you can put that thing to rest? Yep. I tend to get a high variable, uh, a surprising amount of difference in the answers I get, right? So really? if it's three salespeople, five salespeople, you know, they just use this different language, right? Even if they actually are saying the same thing, it's amazing how casual they are about describing it, right? And how much they have to think about it. If you give me a 20-person sales team or a 200-person sales team and, you, and I randomly call three people, I'm going to get this precise, like, really? this, is when, this is when we make a sale, right? So we need the signed document agreement. We submit it through Salesforce or Zoho or whatever it is. And 30 days later, we get confirmation that accounts receivable have signed it. And then I know I'm getting it in the next month, right? Wow. So it sounds very very bureaucratic and right. a lot of small companies may, may actually, you know, disagree with that or dislike that. Sure. But I'm just telling you, I've seen it over and over again over the last couple of years when I've been studying this and the more scalable the sales team, the more precise they are with how they're training their salespeople. And so, you know, I always joke about the idea of like, 
if you know this wall behind me in the office was blue, right? I may say to you, you know, hey, that's a that's a blue wall. And I know this is in the book. Um, and then, but if I need to patch a hole in the wall, blue is not going to cut it, right? Is it is it <laughs> yeah? Is it viridian, right? Is it cyan? You know, I need to know the actual color to be able to patch it and to be functional for that to work, right? Right. So most of us are running around and saying, you know, when we're talking about what's a lead, right? Who's qualified? Who's not, right? Who do we send proposals to? Who do we not, right? Where right. is it in the sales process? If you ask your three salespeople, you know, hey, tell me about lead A, B, and C, you're gonna get the story rather than the precise language. Mm. So that's all about stages. We want all of our stages and our CRM to be past tense, black and white stages, right? So right. Oh, geez, have yeah. they attended the webinar or have they not, right? Have you taken, have you answered the qualification questions or not, right? right. So I, half of what we do is take people away from having stages like qualification, negotiation, right? <laughs> These are active verbs. We want it to be like qualified, you know? Oh, I like Proposal that. Sent. Make, you know, make the verbal. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Make them past tense. Imagine if you have a, if you had, let's just say Casey, you had a salespeople of 10, 10 people, 10 yep. qualified salespeople. And yep. they're all there with you in New Hampshire. And you sit down around the table one hour a week and you say, let's just spot check your pipeline. And you yep. say, tell me about, you know, Acme widgets, right? You want to know the proposal has been sent and I have three days to follow up with them and know that I'm checking back. You don't want to know that the VP is in Europe and that you want to send a proposal, but you're not going, you know what I mean? You just don't have time for that, right? There's no efficiency right. in that. And so you just, if you just come up with these past tense black and white stages, the whole process becomes easier. Just like, again, I, I love the leadership examples from the military. You know, they're trained to have very precise definitions of every word they use. And if they find a word that's ambiguous, they attack it and they peel it back into, this is actually six words. Right. <laughs> six phases that we're calling one thing and we need to we need to be precise with that so, oh, that's, so that's kind of our third phase and the reason why that helps with adoption is because once you have that precision in your sales process you actually want to use your crm because you've added zeros to your day you know that it's a show not tell environment you know you're going to a meeting and if you're juggling 100 leads in your pipeline or 20 deals you don't want to have to remember the story behind them you want to know exactly what the last thing that you did was which basically comes with it and in, in, uh, installed in that piece of information is right. what the next thing you need to do is to move the deal forward. Huh? No, I love this. Uh, you, you're on the, that third part, the language, these, these are great, you know, squashing the vagueness and mm -hmm. the vagueness of stages. I was writing down the vagueness of, is it qualified or not? Did they have yeah. a qualification conversation or not? And are they qualified? And I love the idea of the past tense, stages because i was thinking in my head oh i am i am sending the sow well, well what are you waiting for yeah then the freaking sow yep. but if it was sow sent i think it's actually in, in our crm it's sow sent you know Good. like okay so now yeah. we know what's happened and what's coming up next uh but yeah rather than oh i'm qualifying them cool how much longer do you need for qualifying? <laughs> so I'm actually really glad to use that example, Casey. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat this thing to, you know, yeah, beat it, man. So if you're the salesperson and you get off the phone and you have all the information you need to send the statement of work, right? Yeah. If it, the CRM was labeled statement of work, right? Phase. Yeah. You feel comfortable advancing the phase and then you may get another phone call and forget to send that statement of work immediately, right? You may get to it tomorrow, but 
if you can't advance that face until the statement of work is sent, yeah, this cognitive cognitive dissonance, this friction, and it actually gets you to the 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 meaningful milestones faster. It's a very subtle thing, but I've seen it happen over and over. I've experienced it myself, which is why I appreciate the example so much. So uh, that's the biggest immediate benefit of the black and white past tense is it it moves you to the next concrete step faster than if, if it's ambiguous and you're like, well, I'm kind of in the statement of work phase, but it's not done. Yeah. And you want to keep track. You don't want to forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you might, you're going to write it down and you want to get to the next stage because you know, your sales your manager is going to ask you about it or, you know, Hey, this thing's been in qual it's qualified. What are you waiting for? Yeah. You know? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Yeah. And, What's no, holding no, back? I, I need to send it. I know I need to send it. I just haven't yeah. sent it yet. It's, you know, the, you're right. The stage itself sets the precedent the stage itself holds you accountable as opposed to sending, you know, crafting yeah. SOW, yes. <laughs> knitting yeah. SOW. Yeah. yeah. You need to be crafting something for a long time. Wow. You know, I like that. Oh, the vagueness, you know, this kind of, I can see how you're in, you, you have this sort of process mentality and you're, you're attacking, just like you were saying, the military, attacking different areas of the sales process of the use of CRM that could get vague, the vocabulary, mm-hmm. the stage vocabulary. Um, and then I was even thinking, you know, discounts when, when no one's really sure about pricing or discounts, that's a horrible customer experience. You know, yeah. that just throws friction that didn't even need to happen in the sales mm-hmm. process because we weren't even sure what we were selling. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's you true. Know, Ambiguity you really paralyzes you when you're juggling a lot of data, right? True. true. So that's what we all, I mean, it's yeah. the example of like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg wearing the same shirt every day. They've purposely removed that decision from their life every morning. And while I'm not doing that, I feel like we can adopt a lot of that in sales, right? You're so, not doing that? You got like a great, that's a cool gray shirt. You could thanks. Just yeah, yeah. One of 11 in my closet. It's kind of, you know. Is it really? No, no, it's really not. No, dude, <laughs> no, no I, I do that. I do that. See this? Yeah. Cheshire Impact shirt? I love it. Yeah. I've got like 15 of them. I have to always say that because people aren't sure and they're like, do you just not They're wearing the one same wash? shirt? Yeah. Everything's going same. over that work. It hasn't changed. Right. <laughs> yeah. In fact, someone at the, um, the office, a uh, doctor's office asked me, oh, see, like, no, I got 15 of them. I yeah, got yeah. Totally. Totally. Tell them about the same yeah. thing Steve Jobs did and Mark Zuckerberg still does, you know? Right. Decision fatigue is a real thing, right? Have you heard right. of decision fatigue? Yeah. 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 You break it down. So for anyone that doesn't know what decision fatigue is, it's that, um, you know, just like uh, exercising or, um, you know, fuel in your car, you have a finite amount of uh, ability to make good decisions, right? right? And so decision fatigue is when you've used your, let's just call it a hundred for the sake of, you know, example, when you've used your 100 decisions for the day, right? you start rushing decisions, you start skipping decisions, you start deferring to tomorrow, you start making rash decisions that are not yeah. well thought out, and there's a ton of research around this. And so imagine if I added zeros to your day, Casey, and instead of talking to 50 leads, you're talking to 500. Jeez. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna hit you in the face with decision fatigue like a brick, unless yeah. predefined, you know, what do you do when a customer says X? Every time a customer says X, I do why, right? Yeah. Every time I create a proposal, I open the same template, I change the same three things, and I send it, right? And by the way, I'm not expecting your salespeople to be robots. Right. We're saving their decision capital for the things that matter, right? Yeah. There's something that you can never, AI has not yet figured out how to determine motivation, right? AI sure. and robots 
haven't, we have not figured out how to way to automate what people really want and how to make them feel listened to and how to make them feel special. There are things that we cannot automate. We can't template. And I want to save all of my expert salespeople's time. When I say mine, not just mine, but at my clients, yeah. save all their uh, mental energy for the shit that really matters. Right. And just take yeah. all that. I mean, how many times do you rewrite the same email in sales? Right. And I mean, obviously you're probably past, but we've all been there. Right. And yeah. I say, you know, show me the email templates you have. And they're like, we don't have any email templates. I'm like, okay, ask yourself every time you send a proposal, do you really write the same three sentences? And they're like, yeah, I totally do. You know? And I'm like, well, why are you writing those three sentences Dang, dude? Yeah. 30 times a day when that could be a template in Salesforce? Right. So yeah, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but totally. we, we want to eliminate that decision fatigue. And you do that with, uh, with black and white parameters. You know, it reminds me of uh, people that on, on, I heard about like dating sites, they ask the same questions every time they'll like craft that perfect answer and then yeah. they'll just paste it on like the e-harmonies or whatever. Totally. Uh, yeah. Hey, it's my best answer. You it's know? the best answer. Why not do it? Yeah. Templated email. If they're doing it on a dating site, you can do it in sales, man. Just save yourself totally. that time. And to yeah. your point, you know, change up that first sentence, you know, go Mets, go yeah. socks, go whatever, you know, um, or whatever kind of motivational twist. You're right, man. Save that motivational, that uh, decision capital for yeah. The important stuff, the stuff we want you to do. I, I mean, I think um, I was talking to John Barrows the other day, and he was talking about um, some of his former students created this AI thing that can send this um, this crazy like email that mm -hmm. kind of gets at you know all the things that scrape from your site, and that's cool. But it's like don't over automate and don't become yeah. just a marketing machine. You're saying, yeah. and you know what? People still buy from people they they like, right? Sure. So. There's that part of it too. You're, you're there, you're their guide. I bought marketing yeah. automation from a guy that explained something in really simple terms to me that I had never used before and was just a cool ass dude, you know? Yep. And I was like, this guy's cool. And he explained this to me. I like this. And thankfully totally. it, it corresponded to the right tool, but you know, you never know. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. I mean, technology is amazing, right? Automation is yeah. amazing. Uh, and it's not meant to replace people. It's meant to empower people right? To do what only they can do. Right. Yeah. Right. The human, the human uh, machine that can uh, do those calculations that no one else can. hundred um, percent. You know, this kind of reminds me too, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit uh, previously about, you know, a little bit of that coding background and all that. We'll get into that, but I, I know we came up with the, the idea of the black box and, and you, I know you feel really strong about the idea of the, you know, a lot of people look at sales as like this black art, Mm -hmm. You want to kind of bring order to that. Maybe you can just talk about that. What's your approach and how do you, how do you take that? Yeah. So, um, I do, I do think that, you know, sales is, um, you know, the most important function when it comes to business today, a hundred percent. Right. Because let's just be honest. Um, there's only one reason any company ever goes out of business, right? Not enough and sales, right? Not enough sales. Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious, but all the finance guys are always like, no, because if you're losing money, right? Listen, if, Cash flow. If, if I'm generating $10 million a month and I'm losing money, somebody smarter than me will come by me <laughs> and that business will not go out of business. It will survive. I may not be the one that gets rich off of it, but trust me, nobody will let a golden egg die. Right. And the golden egg is a company that can generate revenue over and over again. So the only reason anybody shuts anything down, the only reason that Kmart and JCPenney and these companies will ultimately, you know, perish at some point 
is, is a lack of sales, right? Otherwise, somebody would acquire them for whatever they have going on uh, and they would keep something going on. So um, yes, sales is amazing and it takes an amazing amount of skill and uh, experience to be a great salesperson, but it, they're not born salespeople and non-born salespeople. I just don't agree with that, right? There may be people that are- uh, Wait, there are or there aren't? There are not. I don't believe there are. So I'm a great example, right? I was more of an artist, an engineer by trade. Yeah. Um, you know, I loved, you know, building amazing things, creating, uh, being introverted, but I loved it so much that I wanted to build a business to do that. Sure. And at some point I realized that if I didn't figure out the sales component, um, I would always be beholden to somebody else that could, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do that. And so, you know, I, in my twenties, I consciously invested in learning how to do sales. Yeah. And now, you know, 18 years later, um, I'm pretty freaking good at it, right? Books about it. I train other people. Boom. To do it. Exactly. Yeah. I would say that Interesting. it is one of my strongest skill sets, but it has been developed over time out of, you know, interest and passion. And so, you know, that just to me, it dispels anybody that says that, you know, you've got to have a knack for sales or an art for mm. sales, right? Sure. Um, some of us may have some skill sets that will amplify it. You know, yep. if you're personable, if you're good hair, curious, if you have great hair, I mean, it is, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, exactly. Um, there are things that you can, you know, laugh about it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're, if you're a, a truly empathetic person that cares about other people and you're willing to learn this stuff, anybody who come can become a good salesperson. Huh. So that to me is enough said to dispel the myth. Right. But what, yeah. what, why do I not think it's a black art? Because I come into companies over and over again. I meet their best salespeople. I interview them. I say, show me what you're doing. And at some point, sometimes in the same meeting, sometimes an hour later, sometimes a week later, I'm able to hand them a document that it describes exactly what they're doing and how they can wow. train other people to do it, right? And it's just, you know, so for us, we talk about sales. Um, we all know Henry Ford, right? Yeah. What, is, what is Henry Ford truly famous for in the business community? Model T and that factory system. Factory system, exactly. Yeah. So the average non-business person says Henry Ford invented the car, which we know is not true, right? The business right. person Who says- didn't? He didn't invent the car though, huh? Well, they, I think they give credit to, to Benz, Daimler-Benz, if I remember oh, right. Um, but there was enough uh, automobiles in the world that you can discredit that Henry Ford invented it, right? You're right, it was Benz. But, but he invented ma manufacturing at scale, right? right? And the assembly line and the conveyor belt um, and specialized labor. And what are we are a hundred plus years into the future, right? Not only it, like the entire world has invested in manufacturing, right? Every country yep. basically is a manufacturing country. Totally. And, and we've yet to find a better system for making things at scale. So why would we think there's any difference at selling stuff at scale? It's the same system, right? If you right. can design your sales process like an assembly line, and, and by the way, the conveyor belt in the sales process is the CRM, right? So there's multiple steps that have to go through. If, if a widget falls off the assembly line at any given point, whoever finds it is basically says, what was the last milestone this widget got to? And where do I put it right back on the line, right? Yeah. Sales is no different, which is why we, you know, uh, perpetuate this black and white past tense milestone. And so um, if, if you look at your sales process, like an assembly line with clear cut guidelines, yep. the black magic art just dis disintegrates immediately. And right. so by the way, you know, just to pay this off full circle, um, you know, 
what happens when you try it when you get a delivery at a factory, right? Always go to the loading dock. So yeah. if you show up, if you show up at the receptionist desk and you say, by the way, I have a special order of widgets, she's gonna be like, Don't leave that on my desk, take it to the loading dock, right? Yeah. If you have a meeting with the CEO to renegotiate terms and you say, Hey, by the way, CEO, I brought this box of widgets, he's gonna be like, I don't want that in my office, take it to the loading dock, right? right. In manufacturing, we're so disciplined about starting things consistently and, and following through. But when it comes to the sales process, we treat a lead that comes in through a website one way, but we treat a referral to the CEO a different way, right? Mm. And, and really, it should, it's all about consistent start points, consistent process, consistent endpoint. And if we would just have the same discipline around sales that we have around manufacturing, then we would be able to scale so much faster. Totally. You know, just the whole work on Six Sigma, getting your black belt, yeah, understanding where a process is failing, you know, where, where the weak points are, the points uh -huh. of holding things up. Yeah. Um, and so the reason yeah. I bring that up it, as a little bit of a derivative there is that if, if marketing knows where the loading dock is yeah. and stale says, I would love when you drop off the raw material and it looks like this, then marketing's job is just to fill that loading dock up. Right. Yeah. And just to never let there be a shortage of deliveries because we all know what happens to the factory that doesn't have any raw materials delivered for a week. Right. No. Eventually the output yeah. is going to dry up. Yeah. So it's the yeah. same relationship. Marketing's job is to make sure the sales pipeline never dries up. Sales's job is to make sure that they create those widgets from all the raw materials. Yeah, I love that. You know, the, the factory, it's so true. And I, and I love that you, you, you geek out on process, and I do too, because a lot of the biggest problems we see can be ascribed back to that. You know, mm -hmm. it, uh, one company I bumped into, they – and on the, this is more on the marketing side, but again, process on the marketing side, they, they decided we're going to spend an extra million dollars this year in marketing and get a bunch more leads and we're going to grow, grow, grow. And normally, you know, you should be getting 10x or more of your investment in marketing. So if you're going to spend $100, you should be closing thousands of dollars worth of deals to justify that spend. Mm -hmm. At least once you find the sweet spot. So they spent that extra million. And of course, there's pre-chash before us. <laughs> to yeah. Clarify that. Let's clarify and, that for sure. <laughs> revenue was flat that year, you wow. know, and and I, I kind of joke that we could have just gone to Vegas and had a great time. Yeah. Really I'm actually and uh, toward the Grand Canyon or just had a mm -hmm. bonfire, you know, and it would have been slightly more productive than whatever just happened just then. Yeah. And we looked into it, and just like you're you're mapping out the the process in your sales factory. The marketing factory supplying that widget to your loading dock, something was happening along the way that either that truck and route or something in the marketing factory, uh, and even some things that were in the sales factory, they, the parts were dropping off the conveyor belt or getting loaded into the wrong truck and just sitting in the parking lot. And, and so all these leads are just kind of like, yeah. you know, metaphor aside, they were all just being left to die, you know, die on the vine kind of thing. Sure. And, and then once they cleared that up, we helped them, you know, map out that process. They realized, oh, we can actually have efficiency here. We put money in the beginning and it comes out the end. This is really cool. It's, it's so uh, maddening to be the outside party and just show up and be able to point something out. So obvious sometimes, right? Yeah. So yeah. if I understand it right, they were, they were marketing generated leads for that million, but they just weren't being connected to sales. They were just all kind of did. being yeah. neglected. In wow. fact, they had something on the order of... Uh, 30,000 leads stuck between marketing and sales. Hmm. Um, and marketing was like, we sent them. Sales yeah. was like, we never got them. 
<laughs> pointing fingers at each other. Yeah, and it's like, guys, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Wow. Neither of you succeeded here on this mission. So let's fix this, you know? Well, my, my only, it's easy to say, right? But my easy summation of that is, you know, you got to have dashboards with the right numbers that shine a giant spotlight on this stuff. And somebody would have been like, okay, we got a, we got a number that's going out of control over here. And this number is not connected to that, right? Right. Yeah, that bottleneck would have been identified so fast. Well, I think back to our earlier convo about, you know, marketing had their, their metric, you know, yeah. leads generated. That's all they cared about. Yeah. And they generated yeah. them. Yeah. Imagine if they would have changed that to leads accepted by sales. Yeah. I would or revenue. <laughs> well, true, but you know, revenue but, yeah, right. one, step, one step beyond. Yeah, right. exactly. Then they could be like, well, we sent them to sales, but they didn't close, you know? Right. But yeah, if they're accepting the lead, I mean, we, we talk about that a lot. Like the sales team should be, they should have some mechanism to accept the lead, right? That's yeah. the feedback. That's actually the success fail rate for marketing, right? You, you yes. gave me 50 leads this week. 32 of them were the kind of leads that we agreed upon we want, Yes. right? Next week, it was 12. Did we change something, right? Or is it just one of those weeks, you know? Yeah, is it a weird yeah. lead source or what, totally. what's the deal? But look at it and analyze it. I like that too, because I, I, we keep telling folks on the marketing side, look, sales is one of your end customers. Sometimes you have two and yeah. sales is one of them. You're, you know, the, the lead you brought in is one and so is the sales team because yeah. they're, they're receiving something you created. Yeah. And so don't invent your own criteria. Talk to sales about it. And actually, totally. it's a good, good um, kind of tie-in. I know in your book, you have a whole section on qualification criteria, which is so key. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like we even need to teach sales how to qualify, but then <laughs> definitely let marketing yeah. know what it is. So what's your take on qualification? How do you approach it? Well, I think the qualification is the, is the least used um, tool in the sales team, right? Really? Because uh, what salesperson have you ever met that wants to like not sell a lead that comes into their, to their, <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I mean? Come on, we're all guilty. You give, you True. know, you say, if you call me tomorrow and say, I've got a friend that might use your system. I mean, I am like doing everything I can to make it work, but we got to be sober about this, right? We yeah. need to be lighthouses, you know, like we know who we're built for. And yeah. so it's got you. So what happens is over the course of a sale is there's a tipping point, right? So if I send you a lead tomorrow and you start selling that person, there's, um, imagine a line chart. It's, you're investing more and more in this sale over time, right? And so at some point, you as the selling company have more invested than the prospect. That's a dangerous point. Wow. Yeah. That's the dangerous point where you will make concessions. That's when you're, wow. in, if it's a big deal and, and that salesperson has a thin pipeline, they're just, they're all in on that deal. They'll do anything to make it work, right? And they're neglecting other new leads because they're like, okay, I got to close this thing. This is a big deal and I've taken it this far. And so having an awareness that at some point you'll have more invested than the client in the deal is extremely important. And so before that point, earlier the better, but not too early to sabotage the deal. You yeah. need to have the hard qualification point. So for... You know, you've heard of like Bant before, like budget, authority, need, timing. Totally. I don't love, I don't love Bant um, yeah. because it leads out something very important. Um, and that's kind of their desire to do business with you, yeah. which I think is a big part of this whole thing. So um, we came up with something called chase the fat deals, right? And so in, in nature, nice. you know, squirrels know that if it's, if winter's coming, 
they want to scroll away the fattiest food possible because yeah. the least amount of food will actually give them the most benefit, right? So I want you to do the same thing in sales, right? I want you to have the fattest pipeline possible. And that doesn't mean the, the most voluminous. It means the deals that are most likely to close, right? So fat is an acronym, fit, ability, and timing, right? Cool. Are they a fit for your company? Are you clear? So I like to use the example. So here at Juicy Results, everything we've done is built for a customer who has a phone-based sales team. Mm -hmm. They have uh, between one and 10 million in revenue. They've reached some level of success, but they haven't fully scaled. Yeah. And they have a stated goal of doubling revenue in the next one to three years. Nice. So there's a mindset piece there, right? They're not a third generation dry cleaner who's trying to squeeze 1% more of revenue out a year. They're a bold startup or a business that has, you know, basically said, we are ready to do something different. We're ready to grow. Right. right. So I know they're a fit. I know they have a phone-based sales team. They're not a massage therapy place that's not going to invest in Salesforce or Zoho or, you know, See, what like the that. trading on those deals would be kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. A lot of, a lot of barter deals there, right? Yeah, barter deals. So the ability for us is, you know, they're, they're the business owner or, yep. you know, VP of sales of a company one to 10 million. Right. Yep. Uh, and then they have the timing, right? They have, they have a stated goal of trying to double revenue. So once I know, so literally we use Zoho, by the way, um, I love, we're platform agnostic. We love yep the tools. But when you bring up a new lead to be able to convert it from lead to deal in my system, you have three checkboxes. My salespeople have to check off their fit, their ability, and their timing. Huh. They're not able to push the deal forward without that. Is if, it just a checkbox or do they have to put it. in what it actually? No, that's it. I just want them to, I just want them to mentally check it off. Yeah. And if they ever come to me and they ever say, I think this is a great deal. They're asking for a concession. The first thing I ask them is, are they a fat deal? Because if they're not a fat deal and they're asking for a concession, we're not even going to entertain it. It is off the table. We know right. who we're built for and who we're not, right? So we're avoiding crossing the threshold where we have more involved than they do until yes. we know that they're the right deal. So that's cool. We say all the time, qualify ruthlessly, right? You know, obviously like don't that. don't shoot people down. It's funny because everyone I, I I speak with other people at conferences and I talk and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, like you don't want your marketing's generated these leads. You don't want your salespeople just turning people away. And I'm like, I agree with you, but my infield experience is that the salespeople are doing the opposite. The pendulum is so far to the other side. They're chasing every deal. Anybody with a pulse, you know, yeah. you may have a different problem if your sales team just says all these leads are crap all the time. Um, but even then, understanding what your fat criteria is will help your marketing team refocus, right? So um, we just think qualify ruthlessly, be honest with yourself. Um, if they're not, if they're if they're a fit and they have good ability, but the timing's not right, yeah, that's when they're right for marketing automation. Don't lose them, but right. don't invest your salespeople's time in somebody who does not have a timing need, right? Right. If they have the fit and they have the timing, but you're not speaking to the decision maker, you know, again, nurture those people and find a way to reach the decision maker, you know? Right. So knowing that, you know, fit ability timing really shows you what the next step is. And by the way, if they're not a fit, they're not a fit. Who can you introduce them to and get them out of your pipeline as fast yeah. as possible? That's just bad mojo from the beginning. Right. So, um, we want to qualify right away. And I got to tell you from personally managing salespeople, uh, there's no bigger waste of time then looking around the table, rather, rather actual or metaphorically, because we have yeah. a remote, you know, we have a location independent team now. It's sure. all over Zoom. Yeah, me um, too. But looking around the Zoom and dealing with salespeople who have a pipeline full of people that are going nowhere. 
right? There's nothing good about that at all. And typically the first thing you should inspect if you have a pipeline of people going nowhere is the fat, are they fat deals? Or are you mm. chasing people that are not a good fit? Is it fat? Great. Yeah. Not bounce. You know, it's, yeah. it's so true that qualification, you know, um, I thought back to one time on the marketing side, we were trying to help this organization figure out, let's do some grading and scoring of leads so we can identify the traits that sales has asked us for. And they hadn't asked yet. And so we were trying to work together with both teams there. Hey, what do you want? And, and you're right. Some, by default, some organizations are just like, I'll take anything, you know? And, and one, there's one particular example. It was like endpoints is what they wanted. Um, how many computers they have at that company, you know? Yeah. Okay, great. That's, that's something definitive. We can ask them on the marketing process. So, you know, what's a great number? Okay, now what's a bad number? At, at how many computers, how many endpoints, and it's not a good deal? Yeah. And I'm like, and they're like, well, right around 20, things get hairy. So I'm like, so if it's 19, it's no good? They're like, no, I'd still call them. I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah. then, but what about one? What about one? Is one bad? Well, no, maybe they, uh, okay, what about zero? Zero endpoints? Is that yeah. bad? And then everyone's like, I think so. Then all of a sudden one guy's like, well, you know, VC firms typically don't have any endpoints themselves. They have endpoints for their, their clients. So I'd still call that zero endpoints. So I was like, okay, clearly this question is going nowhere. Yeah. Um, but to your point, the qualification and, and getting to, uh, you know, it's almost like that getting to a no or just finding out, hey, this is not a fit. Yeah. Doing that sooner than later, I, I was wondering when you described that curve, well, what do you think, that, what does that curve look like where, you know, the customer isn't really spending much time, we're not really spending much time, but at some point, I guess the company starts spending a lot more time and maybe it kind of, it, it curves together, but at some point. Possibly. Yeah. I, it's funny because I just kind of have like, when I show this on a presentation, yeah. I just have a 90 degree or no 45 degree angle. Right. Okay. I, and I just, the chart that I'm developing is your personal time in the deal, right? Yeah. And so I'm showing you your personal time in the deal, cool. right? And then I have a little dotted line and that's the point where you cross where you've got more in it than the customer does, right? right. That's it. That's, so I'm, I'm putting it in your own personal you know, uh, context when I show this to salespeople. And it's great, I'm telling you, what I would bring that up when I talked to like, so if I had that conversation, you're like, okay, what about zero points? One guy is like, I would still call zero point and be like, okay guys, so let's add <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, what would you say? I would, add, I would say, let's add one variable. So I bring up that chart, right? Yeah. And I would say, now, okay, how many leads do you get a day, right? So the, the yeah. VC guy is like, okay, we get, a, we get about 10 leads a week. Yeah. What happens when marketing starts sending you 900 leads per week? Are you still going to call a zero guy, right? No, you're not. So ah. we need to design this around when you're saturated, right? Yeah. The marketing team are offering you more leads than you can handle. How do we, but we, it won't be more leads than you can handle if we apply filters, and we will no longer be sending you the zero to 18 endpoints. We'll right. save those people. They'll be tier two people. We'll use them to train new salespeople on. Or if the economy changes and things go crazy, we'll call those people back. You know what I mean? But we're not going to insert them into your weekly pipeline when you're buried, you know? So I feel like we, need, we owe it to them to, to show them what's about to be possible so they can start right. to ask for what they really want, right? That's really cool. It's it's like get them used to or get them thinking about what happens when there's a lot, when your things are going faster or there's more. So, to, yeah. so it reminds me of some swim coaching. They have you put these like crazy gloves on um, or, or even flippers. Uh -huh. um, so when you're training, you get used to swimming fast. Um, That's interesting. 
So yeah. you get used to what it's like, how I, how, how I'm efficient, how do I best? Cause when you're going slow, it doesn't really matter what your body looks like too much, but oh, as you start getting faster, like aerodynamics, get more streamlined. Yeah. yeah. So like get used to swimming fast. So you act like it. And I remember swimming fast one time being like, wow, I'm like a speed demon out here. Yeah. And then it kind of all those lessons, but in the same case, all right, you don't, you don't have 18 leads. You have 1800, yeah. you have 900, like you're saying, all right, now, now who do you really want to call? Sure. You know, and going back from there. That's you know, a great, that's a great point. You know, this as well as I do, it's hard for some people to step out of the day to day. Like their whole reality, 100%. I get seven leads a week. I will call anybody. Yeah. Put themselves in the, in the, in the future mindset that they would get 70 leads a week. They just can't even get their heads wrapped around it. And so sometimes our job as outsiders is to just be like, agree with them and then show them what 70 leads look like and only send them the ones that are above 18. And you know, sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to push the Eagle out of the nest as they say, right. And just see how it works out. That's so true. Um, yeah. Huh. You know, getting to that qualification sooner than later was actually, it kind of reminded me of a lesson I learned. I used to sell tuxedos on really? the side. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so I was like a marketer full-time doing my thing. Wait, like renting them or actual selling them? Like I'm owning the tuxedo full-time. Kind of in between. So uh, okay. there's right. this tux place and I was going to be their marketing manager, but didn't really have a chance to do that. I was working somewhere else. And so they're yeah. like, Hey, come to us with, to these trade shows. And so I went to these like bridal shows and <laughs> all these things. And I, and I liked it because I'd show up, they'd have a tux for me and my size, something fancy, nice. you know, some like $500 tux and like yeah. wearing these things and, you know, brides and people getting married and couples would come by and be like, Hey, we're getting married. I'm like, do you have a tux yet? <laughs> you know? And it was like down and dirty, but I, I, I used it as like, Hey, I'm marketing, but I'm going to use this as like sales training Yeah. You know, right in front of you. Are they going to say yes? Are they going to say no? And we didn't have to get them to buy anything. We, all they had to do is fill out a form. Uh, wow. But the owner of that company was really smart. He said, you know, don't just have them fill out a form because we'll get their name. But we already get the list of all the people that go there anyways. All the other vendors do Good too. Point. Yeah. And all the other vendors, they'd have you just fill out a form. No big deal. He required a totally refundable $10 deposit, cash, check, charge, whatever. And you would get all these discounts. You know, they would not expire. Come into the store, see what you get. If you like it, great. If not, here's your $10 back. And sometimes it was like pulling arms off of people. It was twisting arms. is all that craziness. Um, so it was kind of a fun challenge, though. And eventually, yeah. like cash bonuses and all that. But it was fun to try to see, could I get these people, you know, um, you know, fill out the thing on the clipboard, answer their questions. And I used to spend a lot of time really trying to get someone and I remember um, driving up to a, an event in like Bangor, Maine, like way north. And uh, I was with the CEO of this tuck store. And this was you know, yeah. many years ago. And I was still learning the chops. And he, I remember him coaching me and saying, look, you spend a lot of time on these people that they've already told you no. You know, they've already said they're not interested. But then yeah. you try to you try and you try and you try. But guess what? They still said no afterward. Like, what if you didn't spend your time on them? And while you're talking to those people, someone else might be walking by that is more interesting. It's like, oh, you know what? Being more aware of how I spend my time yeah. is so key. Dude, there's this um, hero culture around salespeople who turn no's into yeses. And this idea of celebrating the 70th follow-up that um, 
they distorts the true lesson there, right? Right. Yeah, I get it. You know, we all know that there's this thing called the buyer's pyramid and a very small percentage of your buyers are in the market today, right? right. That are ready just to like, hey, I was hoping I came here. So some percentage of those people were coming to get a tux. That was their, the, 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 the groom's number one goal was I'm going to pick out a tux today. Totally. Right. If you were the first guy or the first three and you had a compelling offer, boom, done. Right. Done. But if you only crafted your message for them, you'd miss out on everybody else. Right? right. So what we, and that's the real lesson. So we're like, okay, we need a little bit more compelling lesson. We need a little more, we need to not take the first no, but then there's this like slippery slope where it's like yeah. anybody that gives, makes eye contact with me, I will sell. <laughs> right. Right. And they could be like, uh, dude, my, I'm like third generation tux manufacturing family. Like we make our own tux and the wrong person would be like, no, no, I am going to sell you a tux today. Right. And they would like take pride on that. That is the worst use of your time. You know? Yeah. So, I, I had the same sex couple come by and they're like, Oh, we don't need tuxes. We're both going to be wedding dresses. I'm like, but, but what about tuxes? You know, yeah, yeah. what about <laughs> like, your best not gonna happen? You know, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. It's an awesome, awesome lesson. So I'm, I love this stuff because yeah. one, those, you know, to take a full circle, almost everybody at that was qualified for you, with the exception of the same sex couple. Right. Um, but you learned that right away. Yeah. Uh, but these guys were qualified. So that's yeah. good. And whenever you can put yourself in an environment where it's a high penetration of quality people, like qualified people, you can skip that step, right? Yeah. Which you probably were. Um, I'm curious, what did you say? Like, what was your line to get them to like understand if they were still looking for a tux? Um, well, it wasn't that it was, it, I mean, it was more consultative, even though it was, it was, it was like, Hey, when's the big day? And okay. then they'd say, Oh, you know, you know, June 24th. And I'd say indoor, outdoor skydiving. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> indoor or outdoor. And I'd say, do you have the penguin suit yet? And I'd point to myself and then we kind of take it from there. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. So then you had a great qualification like uh, icebreaker. So I'm yeah. actually glad we went through that exercise. Uh, I have nothing to correct on that. That's perfect. But oh, for cool. your listeners, you know what I mean? Like that's, look how fast you got to the qualification. Like, so I think a lot of times when I talk about qualifying customers, some people hear me and they're like, ew, you're going to be that guy that's like, can you buy from me? Or are you a decision maker? By the way, asking somebody if they're a decision maker is the biggest load of BS in the world. Because they yeah. either are and they're not going to tell you or they're not and they're going to tell you they are. <laughs> That's a good point. So, yeah, you need a way to get a roundabout way to find out if they're, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. you can ask someone if they have a tux or not because there's no identity wrapped up in that. Like, right. nobody has this picture of themselves in their mind as being more important because they have a tux when they don't or vice versa. But you ask someone if they're a decision maker, right? You get into a whole slew of psychological, like, pecking order, which we can't right. go into today. But we just know, like, or their boss said, go get me answers. And they're thinking, well, if I tell him that decision maker, he's not going to give me the answers, right? right? So I laugh all the time. Like you, you can't just hit somebody in the face with a two by four and be like, are you qualified or not qualified, right? right. The magic is in the story and in the engagement yeah. and, you know, indoor, outdoor, right? You were yeah. soliciting them, you were getting them, you know, you were breaking the ice, you were getting them used yeah. to answering questions. Um, sure. Now, now uh, compare that, contrast that to them walking by and you being like, got your tux yet? Yeah. <laughs> got your tux yet? They would just be like, yeah, moving on. You know what I mean? So I love that you gave that example because, uh, you know, it, for any of the people out there crafting their qualification message, 
you know, Casey's example was great. You know, you engaged them in a way that mattered. You were consulting with them. How can I help you? You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, it's I'm in it for me, right? right. What most qualification. Right. So, right. so just to pay my example forward, because I, I, I like using it, I've perfected over yeah. time. You get referred to me, you call, um, hey, we help companies scale their sales team. Yep. We do it, you know, with systems like we, by the way, all the things we talked about today involve zero technology, right? They're all psychological systems and soft yes. systems. We do that through soft systems as well as technology. Um, we have a very perfected system here that works extremely well for a very specific kind of customer. Mm. So our most successful customers are phone-based sales teams between, you know, one in 10 million in revenue with a stated goal of doubling revenue next one to three years. If that's you, everything we've done has been designed to help you succeed. And if it's not, you know, then I can probably still add a lot, add a lot of value to you today, um, but we may not be the right choice for you, right? right? So I'm putting the onus on them to self-qualify and either defend that this is the right phone call or to be very honest with me and be like, that's not exactly us, we're much bigger than that, but we still have those problems or we're not quite that size yet, um, but that's it. I'm not saying I'm not gonna talk to you. I'm just simply saying I'm, I'm a lighthouse yeah. I bring people into this harbor, like right? Term, Is yeah. this the harbor you're looking for or not? Yeah. And uh, it, it disarms so much of the sales call immediately. And that's why we we spend so long on understanding the fat criteria and crafting the right language around it. You know, I loved hearing you break down mine and then share yours uh, because a lot of the stuff I've just done has just been by feel. And then I love yeah. hearing afterward, like, hey, that was good. You did this. And yeah. One time I, I mirrored somebody I had no idea and he was a jerk and I was a jerk back to him, but then he loved me and I, I didn't know why. So I love hearing you sort of break down what this all means. But what's interesting is I'm drawing this distinction that qualification can actually make people feel good. Yes. You know, totally. it doesn't have to be that skeezy yeah. self-serving thing. It can be, mm -hmm. Hey, here's my sweet spot or more like, you know, where are you at? And, and but again, here, here's the, where we can play. It's cool if we're not there. We can still hang out, but this, totally. is, this is where we, we where we go. You know, to your point, lighthouse. Lighthouses are good things. Yes, I mean it, they're like. So if you're looking for that harbor, there is yeah. no more welcome sight than that lighthouse. Totally. Right? And if you're not, you probably don't even. It's still helpful. It helps you from crashing into the rocks, and you kind yep. of move along, yep. and then you forget about that lighthouse. But it was still helpful. It was still helpful. It wasn't for you. Yeah, no one's like that jerk. <laughs> that yeah, lighthouse totally. jerk. Totally. Shine the bright lights in my eyes when I was yeah. going by. Yeah, nobody says that. Oh, that's killer. Well, well, man, this is this is so cool. Like, who are you? Uh, you know, take me back. How did you be? You, you mentioned you dropped some tidbits, which is kind of cool. Like Hansel Gretel, some little tidbits. You were an artist. Like, take me back to you know, you know, baby you or whatever. You know, <laughs> how did you acquire in this journey when you when you went from you know where you sure. were to now? running juicy results and helping people really grow. So the, the key milestones are, yes, I, I was in design school. I went to a, you know, a, an, a, an amazing magnet school in high school, actually before college, it was just for design. And um, I was convinced that I was gonna be, you know, some kind of artist uh, and painter and I used to paint and I loved it. And uh, I, you know, I, did what a lot of high school students do. And you're like, well, what kind of jobs are there for artists? And people yeah. gave me some advice that, you know, hey, um, there's a term starving artists for a reason, right? You know, yeah. right or wrong. Did you listen to them? Well, like I, what I basically took <laughs> out of that, because I, I like looking back, I'm never going to talk someone out of doing what they do, right? Right. You, you know, fortune favors the bold, right? 
Um, but I also looked at what a day in, a, in the life of being an artist looked like. And I don't know if it was for me. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a little isolating, right? You're True. kind of doing your own thing. Um, and by the way, I still think today, like I wake up in the morning, my favorite time of the day is when I work on thought leadership, I'm writing about these concepts, all these terms that I've used, we've crafted these, you know, this is the yeah. craft day. Um, so I think I've taken a lot of that passion and just channeled it into something that is, you know, very useful and practical. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, Hey, you know what? I would love to be an ad guy, right? This was back yeah. in the 90s. And I'm like, I could work at an ad agency and I'd still be around design. And I'd, I've always kind of liked business and branding. Like, you know, it wasn't really a bad word back in the 90s. It was actually kind of exciting to be around yep. this stuff, you know? And, you know, there were a lot of companies doing amazing things like Virgin. And like, I feel like that was a great point where like, you know, business all of a sudden was recognized as actually being positive force in society and yeah. not just you know big corporate america yeah there's some cool um, ones that started to really shine yeah exactly so i work of similar ages so i know that you can relate to that and i was like yeah i think i'd really like to go into advertising right so i'll go to design school instead of just painting you know and, and yeah so uh i did that and i got this amazing internship at a newspaper to develop film and i i hustled my way at like you know 17 18 and i said um hey, uh, all those guys that work in your design department graduated from the college that I'm about to go to. Can I work? Like, I'll stay an extra hour every day if you let me work with those guys. And, and they let me do it. Uh, what were you at the newspaper for? Like, it was I was just else. developing film. Like, I was an assistant, you know, like working like over the summer. OG film, like, yeah. like the film in like the red room and everything. One, yeah. And washing One year after I got there, they went digital. So I was like the last, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And by the way, you know, sidebar, that design school I went to, we were using this little program one hour a day called Photoshop 3. <laughs> like, I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And then the newspaper, oh, everything's Photoshop. And they're like, yeah, we brought this consultant in to teach us how to go digital. And we're going to use this program called Photoshop. And I'm like, I know how to use that, right? And I'm like, yeah. teaching everyone. I'm like teaching the consultant they brought in, like, how to do stuff. Of and course. Everything like that. But, you know, it's, it's a testament to, the, you know, having the right education at the right time. So... Uh, anyway, I was just always that way. I, I never settled for what was put in front of me, right? It's like, yeah. hey, you know, I want to do that. I know you're not going to pay me to do that, but I'll do it, you know? And then they started awesome. paying. Like, well, you can't be here and us not pay you because we're a big corporate, like a net <laughs> paper. So right. they started paying me like my, yeah. you know, minimum wage or whatever to, sure. to like, and my graphics are going in the newspaper. And I was like, what okay. What was that like when you, when you first saw, yeah, because newspapers cool. are still like a thing. Like when it gets physical. It was a big deal back in the 90s. Like yeah. my parents, like, you know, like they're showing everybody like the clippings, like they would give you a byline and everything like that. And so it was pretty cool. You know, Do you remember and what your first one was, was it like a little weather graphic or something? Probably. It was yeah. pretty formulaic, right? We were yeah, doing yeah. stats and pie charts, you I know. Did that. Yeah, it was pretty exciting, you know. But But what it showed me was that, you know, you don't need a formal education. Like it, that, right. the, the takeaway was if you're humble and hungry and you listen, um, you know, maybe you don't have to go the traditional route that everybody does, right? I like that, yeah. And yeah, totally. And so um, I, I did this monster.com search because I didn't even have internet at home. I remember Monster, yeah, man. Yeah, and I used the newspaper computer kind of at the end of my shift. And I said, I think I was done with everything at like 15 minutes. I had to wait around. And I was like, what, um, what kind of jobs are out there for graphic design jobs like I'm doing today? What do they pay, right? I'm getting paid like minimum yeah. wage to do this. Right. And I did this search for graphic design and 99% of the jobs were web design. And I was like, I don't know anything about web design, right? And yeah. I was like, I need to learn this stuff. And 
thank goodness this was the days when websites were just HTML and some graphics. Yep. yep. I think all the time about the kids that would graduate and come work for me when I had my agency and you had to know JavaScript and CSS and HTML CSS, and you know, all, yeah, all that stuff. And the jQuery library, right? Yeah. It was ridiculous. You had to know how to check your source code in it. Like, I'm like, how do these kids like ever build a website? So back then it was so easy. I went, yeah. so I, I joked, I rolled myself at Barnes Noble University. I didn't even have the internet at home. So I would go out like on the weeknights, the weekend nights, and I would just go to Barnes Noble, buy a okay. Frappuccino, get all the web design books, read them, take notes. And I had a little Mac at home and I'd come home, I'd start building websites. And then I started approaching businesses and being like, I can build a website for you. And they were like, well, why do I need a website? And I had to like answer oh, that. Wow. that. Those days where people didn't even have yeah. a website. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I laugh all the time about that. There was this transformational shift of when I was a freelancer convincing people why they needed a website to when I ran a full, full blown website design agency. Yeah. And I would, add, then people would call me and say, I need a website. And I would say, why? Then I started asking them, why do you need a website? And they're Who like, I don't them? know. Doesn't everyone have one? And I'm like, that's the wrong answer. Right. So there was <laughs> this like transformational shift where they were asking me why they needed one to where they were yeah. me, saying, well, why do you need one? Right. Wow. Um, but it was cool and I literally could learn everything. And so um, the newspaper started talking about starting a website. And I said, hey, I know how to do that. I know the newspaper. So literally they gave me the job on my 19th birthday. Um, they kind of gave me the web design department, right? And so wow. kind of the lead you know, builder of the website. And I remember again, going back to conventional wisdom, uh, I'd always grown up, you have to go to college to be somebody, right? Yeah. And I had this yep. like opportunity to go away to school and all this other stuff. I remember saying to my parents, you know, I have this amazing opportunity. They're going to give me a full-time job. Like nobody's doing this stuff, but if I do it, I'm going to have to go to school part-time and I'm not going to be able to go away to school for a while. Like it's going to change everything. Yeah. And I thought my parents were going to be like crushed because they always said you're going to, and they were like, this is a no brainer. Like you got to do it. And that was like lesson number two that you don't have to do things the conventional way. Like when opportunity yeah. is there, you got to take advantage of it. Um, so I did that for a year. Uh, help them build their website department. It was a Gannett wow. newspaper and um, pretty, there was like 90 newspapers at the time, including USA Today. And the, the MO in the early days was every, every individual newspaper has entire autonomy. We're not giving you the programs, like you do whatever works. And if it works, you come tell us and then we'll roll it out. Huh. And so um, turns out the number one problem all these newspapers had was getting the, the news desk who was getting out a, a nightly newspaper yep. to take the website seriously. They thought the website was like a little side a little joke only nerds would use. <laughs> so nobody yeah. would, they, so most people, most newspapers news was getting updated at like noon the next day. Right. Like it was a day behind. Right. Wow. And so I worked in the newsroom. I knew all those guys. They loved that this like 18 year old kid had gone from working downstairs every day in shorts and a t-shirt to being a suit upstairs, you know? Yeah. And like, that was this newspaper. The upstairs was like the business departments and the downstairs was the newsroom, right? The basement with a photo lab. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I took my, my Barnes and Noble books and I, in Pearl, I wrote this little CMS that was web-based and I sat with the news guys and I said, how do you flow in the content? He's like, oh, you take it from here and you put it in here. And it's like, what do you have open? So I, I designed the interface to match what they were doing. No kidding. And I said, so when you copy it here, just copy it here, right? And when you and just hit save and like, I made it super simple. And so, wow. you know, our system ended up like becoming adopted and like we were the only newspaper that was doing real time nightly news uh, across like all the departments. And it was just cause I had the buy-in, you know? Like they yeah. wanted me to succeed, right? 
Um, it Which is like what you're doing with CRM. You made it exactly. super easy for them. Still using now that. Rocket able to jump on, you know, one foot. Like he just hit paste over here too, and paste it there, and then hit save. Totally. I, mean, I was just gonna say, I, I was like, what CMS? I mean, WordPress what, probably it wasn't around, right? It was like no way. Hard coded we or you made your we were like ten years ahead of WordPress. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a little pearl thing that I built, and it was like publish a news story publish a business story, publish a sports story. <laughs> it was like yeah. three buttons, right? And they just copied and pasted and that was it. There was no images being uploaded, none of that yet, you know? Right. Um, that was a breakthrough. And so uh, word got out and I just had my ability, my um, opportunity to go anywhere. And so yep. Amazon flew me out a couple of times, offered me a job and that's what brought me to, to Boca. And I thought I'd be here for a year at a little startup. And I had all these stock options and it was going to be amazing. Say so that Amazon and stock would look pretty good right about now. <laughs> it would, but you know, everyone's like, don't you regret it? And I'm like, you know, this was 2000 and, and about three months after I declined the job, they laid off 2000 people. So oh. the fact, you know, the chances of me surviving yeah. were not, you know, uh, guaranteed for sure. Right. And I was moving from sunny South Florida to Seattle and I took that flight twice and it was, it was an eternity. Right. And I'm it's like, pretty long. I'm 20 years old. Right. I can't yeah. even legally drink yet. And I'm like, going to be going across the country, like away from my parents, away from everything. Like it was, it was pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so I opted for this little startup, which, you know, the executive team was amazing. And I was like, the, I was going to watch them raise money. And cool. that was an amazing opportunity. Right. And again, yeah. um, they had no salespeople. No, all marketing. It was dot-com days. If you spend enough money, people, and I remember I was always frustrated when I heard that we were doing that poorly and that we needed more investment. And I'm like, why aren't we out selling? Like even back then, like, right. I was like so frustrated and like it made such a material impact on me about how important sales was. Um, so seven months, almost to the day that I got hired, you know, they had to shut down and it was post on the dot-com bubble. Yeah. Or, yeah. Post, post dot-com bubble yeah. the summer before 9-11 and I went on all these job interviews and nobody was hiring oh. and that whole executive team that I, by the way they you know former CMO of AOL was like our chief marketing officer like really Damn. big gun so they they had no problem getting jobs and and by the way they couldn't hire they had a hiring freezer so they called me and they're like Jeremy we can't hire you but we can outsource to you huh. and enough people started doing that and I started to realize that I was going to you know college part-time and I was paying, you know, $300 a credit hour to learn COBOL, which was a dead language. Totally. Or, or paying me $100 an hour to write web pages for them, right? And I was just like, this is stupid. Yeah, no brainer. <laughs> so I like put school on hold and I started my company and it was a, it was a web design company. And that's when I truly realized that the only thing holding me back was salesmanship and the ability to sell. And nice. I, I became the best salesperson that I could become. And I invested heavily in that. And that was amazing. And then I, uh, we became an agency, like I merged yeah. with the design company. Uh, and so we grew into an agency and then something really hit me. And that it was that, you know, every time I went on vacation, we stopped selling, right? Every time I was not around, there was no one else selling. Yeah. And I heard this Jack Welch quote that I loved and I'd really prided myself like very often. And you know, this, the, the um, strength of the leader is the weakness of the company. And I tell my clients that all the time. The no matter, strength of the leader is the weakness of the company. Yes. So if you're an amazing operations manager, you typically haven't outsourced that and built up great operations staff. If you're an amazing rainmaker, you typically haven't built out a sales department. If you're an amazing you know, financial genius, you typically haven't delegated and have other people managing oh, finances wow. and you are the bottleneck, right? 
So um, that was me, you know, and I, and I heard a Jack Welch quote that said, uh, no matter how big of a company, even at GE, I've always been the best salesperson at the company, but I can't sell as much as 10 people can sell. And so you got to invest in great salespeople. Yeah. And I remember hearing that and I was like, man, it is my ego of being the, the rainmaker that is holding me back from growing, right? And I'm not focusing on the parts of the company that need me as a CEO because I'm determined to be at every single deal and sell every single you know, opportunity and mm. that's holding us back. And so I hired salespeople and none of them worked out and I immediately like was right back to square one and I'm like, wow, managing salespeople and building a sales team is a different skill set than selling and I oh, need to, yeah. this is the next, this is the next thing for me, right? Yeah. And so I did that within Juicy. Uh, and then, you know, I kind of, I, I think I was telling you before, I went to this amazing workshop, this conference, and they said, you know, on one side of the paper, write down everything you love about your company, the things mm -hmm. that your customers will always pay you for, that you have great margins on, that you beat the competition every time you come up against them. Yep. And then, you know, on the right side of the paper, write down everything you hate that you should get rid of. And the middle kind of put everything that's neutral. Right? Okay. And they, the, the idea was um, the more of the left side you can do, the better business you have. And by the way, what if you only did the one thing on your left side? Like what if that's all your company was yeah. were the things that you were differentiated on that only you could do that you have great margins on that, you know, that you win every single time on that you love to do. And I was like, wow, that's the CRM part of our business that I give away as yeah. part of my marketing agency. And uh, so, yeah, so, uh, about two years ago, we started a transition that took me way too long to commit to, uh, like all things, it was the obvious choice, but it, there was a lot of, you know, bold moves associated with that. And so I yeah, dragged my feet, but I ultimately kind of sold off all the agency business and, and got rid of everybody on that side and just said, you know, we are going to, you know, take all the drama out of building a sales team and we're yeah. going to help companies scale their sales the way that I always wanted to. And that I had the hardest time doing, That's uh, sick. so there we are. That's my story. Boom. I love that chart too. I think we could do that in a lot of different, I mean, do it in our companies, yeah. do it in our jobs, do it. Everything. Our, I, it's, it's a, you're right. Relationships. It's, and yes, it's recursive. It, you can do it once and then you can do it again. Like once you make the cut, I can now look again and say, okay, of all the things I do, what is still the stuff that I like to do the best? Right. And you continue to hone down into the essence of what works for you. I love you dropping that recursive smart bomb, little CSS <laughs> shout out, coders. Unite. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome, man. <laughs> well, man, this has been awesome, you know, to learn about, you know, from you on that sales journey and yeah, man, you definitely hustled from that, that, that basement of the newspaper. Yes. I uh, see with the developing the film in the dark the, room, yeah, I'm literally in the dark room, developing room. film with gloves on and an apron. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> then like running GC results and, really refining down from being just a more of a general marketing agency to yeah. man, we help you grow your sales teams, scalable sales teams. Um, give it some shout outs. So, I mean, I'll be, I'll even start you out seven, seven habits of scalable sales teams. Got this puppy on Amazon. It's all out there. We'll link to it in the yeah. show notes. What other yeah, ways? How can it's available for free on our website, juicyresults.com. Yeah, or it's available for free. Yeah, you can download it digitally, which I'm totally fine with. It's cool. Uh, so we got the digital copy, or it's on Amazon for like seven bucks or something like that. Yeah, it was um, prime. Yeah, it's easy. Tiny read. The thing I'm most proud of is that people tell me all the time, I never read books, and I read your book because it was so simple. It was so easy. Um, but it's fundamental. I hope you agree with that. I saw your little. Uh, yeah, I do. 
manual yeah. hearts on every there, chapter. But... I love it. No complaints. Good. Appreciate that. Uh, so I'm seven for seven. That's good. Uh, it's a quick <laughs> read. Seven habits. So yeah, seven habits of scalable sales teams. Great place to start. Yeah. Juicy results. Uh, you'll find uh, our podcast, uh, New Customer Machine. It's all about uh, turning strangers into customers at scale, which is what yep. we say our framework does. Cool. And uh, you know, if your team's having a hard time uh, adopting the CRM or feel like you're missing the sales technology boat, uh, we'd love to help you. And it's all on Juicy Results. Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram, Juicy, you know, Twitter, Facebook, everything is pretty much just Jeremy Pound. I've been yeah. lucky enough to have a unique enough name that I can grab. Um, and scoop it uh, up fast, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you Google me, you'll you'll find me out there. It's pretty easy. Cool. LinkedIn, Twitter, we'll put it all on the yeah. show notes. This has been awesome. Thanks again for coming out here, man. Loved it. Didn't even have to leave my house, Casey. It was super. Uh, I know. <laughs> At least you're not still in your PJs. Actually, we don't even know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show, everyone. Hey, if you if you learned something here, and I know you did, because I just took like four pages of notes. Share this with someone else. Share it on the YouTubes, on the Twitters, all the different you know platforms. Get it to someone. You know, send them a link and email so they can learn from this too. Especially if you know someone that, uh, you know, as Jeremy was saying, they've got that situation and they 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 fit. And maybe they're fat too. Get them, you know, get them that information so they can go over there. But this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show, guys. Hey, we'll catch you next time. Bye.